So that's a lot of praying for not doing a lot of praying. So uh, come back on Sunday night and we'll get into some more praying and it'll be more specific. And, and uh, all right. So it is QA time um, and no one brought me a question. So I guess we'll go home in just a minute. We just got live online. Thank you for joining us. If you're joining us live, we're glad that you're here. We may have a short night. So um, any questions? Anybody been reading your Bibles every day? I hope so. Yeah. You kind of got one? All right. Anyone else? Jesse? You know that song, hey, Jesse, you're so fine. You know that song? That lady that sang that song is like 80 years old. I was like, what? Have you seen that? Tony Basil, 80 years old. I'm like, she must have been 50 when I heard that song the first time. <laughs> but anyway, that has nothing to do with Jesse's question. But uh Hey Mickey, you're so fine. I had the wrong song. Anyway, move it going on going onward and upward. Jesse, that was uh Rick Springfield, Jesse's girl, but that's a whole other story. Okay, so I hear that frequently. Yeah. <laughs> um so in Luke sixteen, uh this was we were discussing this during uh a discipleship lesson. And <clears throat> it's of the parable of the unjust steward. Mm-hmm. And we got into, tried to get into detail about uh, what exactly happened and what can we take away from the parable. Probably just from verses 1 to 13 or up to about verse 8, I think. Okay, so the question is, you want to just kind of have it laid out? Yeah, I think that um, we were trying to figure out um, what did he, did the unjust steward, um, yeah, just basically the details of, you know, was he not able to work? He says he cannot, I cannot dig. And then he's too shame, too ashamed to beg. So he was, he was kind of a smart guy, it seemed like. And he, we're trying to figure out if he, um, whenever he says, So he called to every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, An hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then said he to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, An hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write four score. And then the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. So we're trying to figure out. It it doesn't seem like he did right. But the Lord is Lord. Or his master said, 
that he did right. Mm -hmm. So we're we're just trying to figure out That's a good how question. did he do right if he can't work, he doesn't want to beg. Did he just write it off? He didn't want to dig a hole. Or, or well, there's obviously this is a great question. So, um, first of all, it's it's interesting. Um, Luke 16 in general is interesting in that we why do we call it a parable? That's a, that's the first question I would ask, not just you, but in general. In, in the New Testament, when it's a parable, it says this is a parable. So it seems as Jesus is, is as he's going through here, he's told the parable in chapter 15 of the prodigal son. And then we get to, uh, so it could be a parable if you conjunction, junction it with verse chapter 15, because it says and, it starts off with an and. And he said unto his disciples, but it just says he says unto his disciples. He doesn't say it's a parable. Like I believe in the previous chapter, uh, it, uh, da, 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 when he's talking about the the parable, yeah, in chapter fifteen, verse three, and he spake this parable unto them, saying, "You don't find that in chapter sixteen, just for what it's worth, but it is certainly a lesson that God has included that everyone needs to know, and it could have been a real incident. As a matter of fact, I think you're right, a certain man, and then you're going to go into uh, the end of the chapter, which is dealing with Lazarus and a rich man." So Jesus is certainly sending a strong message here to, well, who, who's, his, who's his audience primarily? His disciples, yeah. He's also, he's also communicating about, he's communicating to the nation of Israel in Luke. Um, and so it does say, like if, at the margin of my Bible, up at the top it says the parable. I just want to point out, though, uh, I'm pretty sure everywhere else there's a parable. It will say, like in chapter th verse three, of the previous chapter, this is a parable. So it doesn't necessarily. It isn't. May not be a parable. Uh, in my margin, I put not a parable, <laughs> but not that that's a, a huge deal. It's just something I point out. Um, so there's a certain rich man. Now there's two rich men in this chapter, right? Neither one of them are named, and so uh, there's a certain rich man. And then uh, the poor man in the, in the end of the chapter, Lazarus, we all know his name. And so there's a rich man that had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that, had, that he had wasted his goods. So the issue is at hand here is he's not a good steward of the opportunities that his rich master gave him. Um, and so and I'm, I know you know this, but let me just walk through this a little bit and, and kind of massage a little bit. And... Um, and he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? So he's not going to give an account until he hears an accusation. By the way, the devil is the accuser of the brethren day and night. So he hears, oh, this guy's not a just steward. Stewardship in the Bible is a big deal, right? We're stewards of the mysteries of Christ. So for this dispensation, we're stewards of the mysteries of Christ. So that's what we are responsible for. I'll get to, I may get to that later. I may not. But in the Jew, Jewish sense, what were the Jews responsible for as a nation? The people, but the laws, the law, the, law and the, the prophets had been entrusted unto the Jews. Um, and so, and God, with that came a physical land grant and lots of opportunities to obey the Lord, which they had messed up 
at several turns through the times of the kings to the time of of uh and they're taking the captivity and then they come out of ca- captivity and now they're back in the mess again as jesus shows up and they're not receiving the opportunities that are before him with the messiah who's teaching them um so this the the rich man wants to know you know i need you to give an account of thy stewardship for thou thou mayest not no longer be a steward so what's at stake here is 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 he faithful with the rich man's assets it's not about even collecting them as much as well it is about collecting but it's he's saying am i getting the roi on you i have entrusted you riches my riches i own them and i expect a return on investment and i'm hearing that uh i'm hearing from an accuser um that you're wasting my goods so you're not being a good steward of my goods um, okay, so then you get into the, what seems to be troublesome. Then the steward said within himself, oh, man, what am I going to do, right? What shall I do? What, uh-oh. For my Lord take away from me the stewardship. So what's at stake here is his stewardship. Is he still going to be entrusted with the riches? Um, and so what he does, of course, you read it, you know what he does. He says, well, look, I, you know, um, I can't dig. We don't know why he can't dig. He just can't dig. Maybe he's got an ailment. He, he Maybe physically, maybe he's too old to dig. Maybe he's got a bad back. We don't know. But he can't dig. It doesn't mean he won't dig. He says, I can't dig. So he can't dig. Um, to beg, I'm ashamed. I, 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 he's like, man, I don't want to beg. I'm ashamed to beg. Um, and probably if it's sort of like uh, Oprah Winfrey and... and uh, um, Jerry Springer? No. Uh, no. Dwayne Johnson, right? Yeah. So they're like they're like asking people for money, and everybody's like, <laughs> "You're you're asking us to give you money, and you guys are like super wealthy." Uh, you know that went over like a lead balloon. So uh, Dwayne Johnson comes out the other day and says, "Forget it. I didn't mean that. I wasn't very sensitive, right? Because he's in a situation where he's the guy with the money bag. Why would he be asking us to give him money to help Maui?" People are like, why don't you just give your own money? You know, Oprah and 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 uh, what's his name, The Rock, right? Yeah, and plus everybody thinks they're trying to you know steal the property from everybody, but that's a whole other thing. But same type of thing. That's about the trust level probably that this steward would have had with people. So he's like, I I'm not if I beg, what am I going to do? I mean, probably going to come up with nothing. So I'm going to lose anyway. I'm going to lose lose. Um, okay, so. Okay, so now we get to verse 4. Ah, I got an idea. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me in their houses. Notice this. He's willing to give up the stewardship so that he can be received by the people. At least he'll have a roof over his head. Because right now he's looking at this as though, man, I'm homeless. I have no nothing to do. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Because they're right, they got me. I haven't been a good steward. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said, Ah, take thy bill and sit down quickly and write 50. I'm going to give you a discount, 50% off. You know, I'm not going to beat you up. There's another, there is a parable where there's an unjust steward, right? And one of them, uh, he gets grace and he turns around and he goes to everybody else and extracts a, a, a lot. And God's like, That's not just. This guy says, I'll tell you what, just cut your bill in half, 50%. I might not be homeless, but at least I'm going to redeem the riches 
of my master. It's not about him at this point, although it is about him. He's trying to get a roof over his head. Um, but he's, he's happy with just with that, 50% off. Write it out right now. And, of course, you know how it goes. He goes down, and he, so he cuts his bill in half, and he gets 50%. And, uh, and so then he goes down to, uh, to verse 6, and he said, A hundred measures of oil, and he said unto him, Take thy bill, sit down quickly, write 50. Then he said to another, verse 7, uh, How much owest thou? And he said, uh, said A hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write four score. All right, so he's getting 60 out of 100 there. Now, these people still owe the balance. So it's not like they don't owe the balance. But he's saying, here, I'm going to give you a discount right now and write this out right now. So you don't have to give it all, but just give some. And each of them are able to do it. Um, and he goes on to say, verse 8, And the Lord commended the unjust steward. He was still unjust, by the way, uh, because he had done wisely. Even though he was unjust, he did wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Now, this is actually the answer to your question. He's not commending this guy like, oh, he's the best guy in the world. He's still an unjust steward. But he behaved himself wisely in at least uh, going out and, and collecting something for his master and then finding, trying to get a roof over his head. But the real issue is what we read after that. This is actually the, the gist of what he's trying to tell us. And he says in, the, in verse 9, uh, well, in verse 8, he says the, 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 the children of this world, which would be, you know, people who aren't Jews, um, this is probably, a, I believe this is a real account. Not even be say this could be a Roman for all we know. Uh, he's not necessarily a Jew, right? He's just an unjust steward. That's all we know about him. And, and he says, you know what? The children of their, of their generation are wiser than the children of light. Now, at this time in history, let's look at this historically. Three applications of scripture, historical, doctrinal, inspirational. Who are the children of light at that time? Don't know? Okay. Anybody got a guess? Yeah, the Jews, right? Because we're not even gotten to the cross yet. So let's just kind of set this up. Luke 16. uh, The children of light... Light equal at the, the Jews historically. What what makes them? And I've already given the answer to this earlier. What makes them the children of light? Yeah, there's a lot of ways we could define it. They're they're God's. Uh, they're chosen, right? Uh, they got the Abrahamic covenant. Right, so you got the Abrahamic covenant. They're also uh, they're stewards of the law. So they have the law and the prophets, right? And that's you know uh, Sinai to to that time and till to Jesus. I'll just say to Jesus. Though, uh, you know, God went silent 400 years before Jesus. So so we could say, you know, from Sinai to 400 B.C., right? Uh, and then, well, let's just say that for now because they've got that. Um, 
And with that comes the priesthood, the government, all of that. They're, they got all that. The promises of the kingdom of, of God. I'll just, I, won't, I won't get into that right this second. Let's just leave it at that. All right, so um, let's get back to the text. So that's so these are children of light. And he says, you know what? This unjust, this unjust steward is wiser than, right? The unjust steward... Is wiser than the children of light. Well, why is that? One of the reasons is um, he 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 understood that it, he understood that he could lose his stewardship. He didn't just assume that because he was born a Jew that he would have that stewardship forever, right? He's like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm going to lose this thing. That's the first thing. That's what makes him wise is he knows he has something to lose. Now, he was a fool. He's still foolish, and he's still unjust. That's never taken away from him. He's still that. But he's wise and says, "Uh uh-oh, I'm going to lose this. Second thing is he he forms a a plan to, to at least recoup some of his losses, Right? So he tries to make it right. Uh, and, of course, he's, he's successful enough uh, that there, it's commented on here. Um, the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely for the children of this world or in their generation wiser than the children of light. It's a sad commentary on the state of the believer at that time. So he says, I say unto you, make your, and this is interesting, I say unto you, make yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. That when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. That's a strange verse, Luke six nineteen, right? Or sixteen nine. Yeah, I, I tell you, I'm dyslexic. So, so he's like, go ahead and and man, you know, mammon is not a. That's a, that's just the riches of this world. But he equates it to something. He says, you know what? You need to be friends with them because you're going to need them to have a habitation. Now, we know we can look at this historically. We can look back at this, and it makes a lot more sense to us. At the time, they're probably going, huh? What is he saying? Why is he saying that? Why would he say that? Because he's right. Jesus is the light of the world, and of the things they've been entrusted, guess what? One of them was, well, of course, it was Jesus, right? <laughs> Messiah is like literally in their face, saying, "Hey, guys, I'm here," right? Uh, and so that's that's theirs too to have and to hold from this day forward. But they weren't they wouldn't receive him. You know what they are? What they don't believe they are, but they were. They were unjust stewards. They were prideful in the fact they were chosen. They're prideful in the fact that they were stewards of the law. But when the fulfillment of the law came, when Shiloh came, they were like, don't want him. And he's really predicting. He's like, you better make friends with those that have the earthly money because there's coming a time when you ain't going to have a place to live. When was that time? 
That's right. Ron's got it. In 70 AD, that came to pass, didn't it? General Titus rolls in, and he, uh, at the time he's general, it's before he becomes the uh, um, the Caesar, uh, and uh, then he and he obliterates Jerusalem and levels it. And guess what? They become homeless. They're dispersed. So keep. Let's just keep rolling here. Uh, and he says, interesting too. He says, receive you into everlasting habitations. Now think about that. And this is only Jesus could say this. And, and us looking back now, we understand it. But at the time, that would have made no sense. How can how can if you're talking to Jews, the children of light, about going to the riches of this world and mammon and finding everlasting habitation? How is that even possible? Well, of course, we get that worked out in the book of Acts, don't we? Everlasting. Today, if you want to get saved, how do you get saved? Through the gospel. Jew or Greek doesn't matter. Who primarily has stewarded the gospel for the last, you know, 2,000 years? It's been the, the Gentile bride. So you can kind of see. But now, that would not have made any sense. I mean, that's because we got, that's why God's given us his word and the Holy Ghost. But at the time, that's what Jesus is talking about, which I'm sure the Jews are going. Now, maybe a guy like Nicodemus, he might have picked up on that. He might have thought, hmm, you know, or after the resurrection, you know, I'm sure several Jews might have, remember when he said that, you know, and okay, we'll go to the Gentiles now. Okay, I get it. You know, so they obviously they put it together, but let's keep going. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much <clears throat> and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much and so faithful with least you're faithful with much he that is unjust in least so basically he's saying you better take care which is this is our discipleship lesson the point is is be, be take good care of what god gives you that is the really simple lesson of that is if god's entrusted you something don't take it for granted if he's if he's trusted you with vacuum in the floor do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men, because that's who you're serving. That's who you're. That's who we serve. That's a that's a devotional application to that passage. Now he's telling the Jews, man, you've been given a lot, like the good, like this unjust steward. You've been given all the riches, man. You had the you have the law and the prophets. You got the. I mean, the, the whole world's supposed to come through Israel to get saved up until that point, and even to this day, we all get saved by trusting a Jewish Messiah. I mean, God set them up for success, <laughs> and they were unjust stewards. Um, of course, verse 11, If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Hmm. Now, this is a this will preach. I'll get, let me circle back around to that in just a minute, because this is directly relatable to the, this particular church age that we live in, in a in a, in a in a doctrinal application too. And if you have not been faithful in that which another man is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? So if you can't if you can't be uh, faithful with uh, those riches, I mean, who's going to give you your own? Okay. So, and then he gets he kind of there's a paragraph mark and he says no servant can or no servant yeah can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Which seems like a contradiction, because he says earlier, make friends with the, the the people that have the filthy mammon, right? You can't serve God or mammon, which is really what he's trying to tell them is you need to serve God. 
And, and if you don't, judgment's coming. And you're going to have to take up your habitations with those people because you haven't been faithful with the opportunities, especially this one, that has come your way because they're rejecting uh, their Messiah. And he goes on to say, and, and the Pharisees also who were covetous, now, now we're getting down to brass tacks. In verse 14, and the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things and repented. And went forth to find John the Baptist and see what they, and, the, and they studied the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. No, no, that is not at all what it says, is it? <laughs> no, that's not what happened. The Pharisees, right, who were covetous. So that's what we're talking about. This unjust steward, what was he doing? He was wasting the opportunities that he had. But at least he recovered some. These guys are covetous and what were they covetous of? I mean, was Jesus rich? Yeah. I mean, technically he created, you know, you want gold, his streets are, his pavement's gold. So, I mean, they didn't believe that he was Messiah or they didn't want to believe that he's Messiah because ultimately what was it, what were the Jews having problems with? Pride. They didn't want to lose control of their kingdom. They wanted his kingdom. So when you go back to the previous parable, and it is a parable, the prodigal sons, you got two sons. One is received by his father, even though he's been living like a hog, because he says, you know what? I don't even care about my dad's riches anymore. If I could just go back and, and just be one of his servants, I'll just, I'll just clean out stalls all day, man. That is better than this world that I've been living in. Forget the world. I'm done with it. And he comes home, and the father throws a party for him. But the brother, what happens to the brother? He gets mad because I've been here the whole time and he's spending my inheritance on this deadbeat brother. And dad's like, hmm, interesting. So so which son here needs to repent? The one that was mad. The one that had been given the true riches. Okay, so the issue here, obviously, God is trying to get through people's head is, hey, the father in heaven. You know, that is the one that, that's what you really want. It, the Pharisees, they, they want to kill Jesus. I mean, obviously, they were covetous is what it says. I didn't say that. Jesus said it. So it says here, they were covetous. They heard all these things and they derided him. And he said unto them, ye are, the, ye are they which justify yourselves before men. But God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is, is abomination in the sight of the Lord. I'm sorry, in the sight of God. In verse 16, and the law and the prophets were until, and look at verse 16. And the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached unto every man, press, is, is preached, and every man presseth into it. This is an interesting phrase here, and an interesting passage, and this gets our attention because we're stewards of the kingdom of God. He doesn't say the kingdom of heaven. And he doesn't say, the Jews are pressing into it. He says every man, every man is pressing into it. So Jesus is dropping some stuff here. He's, he's talking about some crumbs. He's dropping some crumbs for those people that are paying attention. So he's saying here, but God knoweth the hearts uh, for that which is, is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Right. So the things that we esteem highly, 
Matthew 6, 21, are in God's sight, they're nothing. Right? So we got to get the value system is messed up. Um, and so the law and the prophets were until John. So I mentioned that, the law and the prophets. That's here, the law and the prophets. Since four, now they, they, the last word to them was in 400 BC, but he makes a declaration here until John, that's John the Baptist, right? He says, now something has changed since John the Baptist. What is that? Historically. Right, which is, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That's the message John's proclaiming. Behold, he says it twice in John. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John chapter 1. He's, the, the Messiah has come. So up until John, the law, and that's it. But now, since John, you got Jesus. You got the Lamb. You got your Messiah. He's here. Now, all these dudes, listen, these Pharisees knew it. Because that part of the discussion in the Gospels is what about John? Was he a prophet? Yes or no? John chapter, uh, John chapter 8, right? And they're like, well, we don't want to say he's a prophet because then, you know, his message could be true. But if we say, you know, and he kind of had him over a barrel. Well, what was Jesus is saying? You, you Jews have been, you got all of this. And up until John, you had that. And now the whole kingdom of God is pressing in because the Messiah showed up. Not just the Jews, but even the Gentiles. Remember that lady's like, uh, he's like, hey, I haven't come here for the Jews. Or for the Gentiles. She's like begging Jesus, begging Jesus. And he's like, she's like, hey, even dogs eat from the the table. The crumbs off the table. And he like looks at her, says, I haven't found that kind of faith in Israel. Gentile soldiers are getting saved, all because of faith in the Jewish Messiah. He's finding more faith in Gentiles who he didn't even come to save than he is in the Jews. The leaders of the Jews who are stewards of, the, of these things. Stewards, I might add, stewards. So they're stewards of these things. Wiser. Yeah. Amen, Bob. So Bob is reiterating for the, it was online. Bob is pointing out that gets back to what it says about the children of this generation are wiser than the children of light because there were, there were Roman soldiers and centurions that were wiser and Gentile women that were wiser than the people that were responsible, the stewards of the law, the prophets, and the message of John, which it was in their hand to receive. As leaders, if they had received it, then, their, then the nation would have received their Messiah, which he gives them another shot in Acts up till Stephen. Um, and so notice in verse 16, though, he mentions the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. Now, you won't, unless you believe, unless you have a King James Bible and you believe in the pre- preservation of the word of God like like we do, uh, and many of our brothers and sisters in Christ, you won't even understand the distinctions. And I don't want to get into a whole study of the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, but we cover it thoroughly in D2 and in HBI. Um, but if you look, when Jesus came, he came, he's the king of the kingdom. The kingdom is Jesus's. But he presents two sides of that kingdom. There's the kingdom of God, which is a spiritual kingdom. And then there's the kingdom of heaven, which is the, uh, the uh, kingdom of heaven is the physical kingdom. And uh, I, I, where's the verse that says the kingdom of God um, is is uh, not in meat? Ron, you can probably help me with that. Or what is it? No, it's in the Gospels. Luke seventeen twenty one. I might be. 
Yeah, neither shall there. Yeah, the kingdom of God is within you, and you are. Romans fourteen seventeen. Uh, probably also does say that. Romans fourteen seventeen. Oh, that is it. Yeah, yeah. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Yeah, in Luke seventeen twenty, the kingdom of God is spiritual. Of course, you also see that First Corinthians fifteen forty five through fifty, uh, the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. Conversely, the kingdom of heaven is a is a physical kingdom, and uh, there's another parallel passages to that also in the gospel. So the definitions that we have for these are in the gospels themselves and in the Word of God itself. Um, and that's why he says take up a sword. It's in the kingdom of heaven context. Okay, having said that, he mentions here specifically the law and the prophets were until John, since that the time of the kingdom of God since that time the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to pass than for uh, one uh, tittle of the law to fail. Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. Whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her a husband committeth, a, uh, or from her husband committeth adultery, and so he immediately jumps to uh, this issue of adultery, which is interesting in the law, because they were abusing it big time, and 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 they weren't keeping the law, and so uh, there, there. So then he goes into the, the rich man, the parable of the rich man, a certain rich man. Again, he doesn't. Now this is definitely a Jewish rich man, and uh, he gets into this rich man, and then he gets in again to Lazarus, who's eating crumbs off the table. And and he's 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 content to eat these crumbs. He dies. He's in Abraham's bosom. The rich man who takes for granted all that he had is now becoming an evangelist and saying, hey, send someone back and send my family. And what's he tell them? If you don't receive the law and the prophets, you're, you're not going to see receive even though someone rises from the dead. So he's just reiterating the same thing he starts with in the beginning of the unjust steward. Israel is in a world of hurt because they will not receive their Messiah. They are missing the boat. That's really the gist of the whole the thing. If you, if you won't receive, if you're not going to take account of what the word of God says, you're not going to receive, you're not going to get the blessings of your Messiah. You cannot have that, the true riches. You're not going to get them because you haven't been a good steward of the law and the prophets because it is written of me, Jesus tells them. I'm the fulfillment. And if, if you can't receive that, then, and that's what he tells them. I mean, if you go back over to Luke 16, the, he's making the case in Abraham's bosom uh, further down there. Um, verse 24, and, he's, and he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember that in thy lifetime, son, because he's, he's part of the Abrahamic covenant. Son, remember that in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all of this between us, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, uh, neither can they pass uh, to us that would come uh, from hence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. He's like, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brethren that, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses 
and the prophets. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Now, he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Bingo. And so you have a man in Acts chapter 7 named Stephen, who is also a Jew, stands before the same people that crucified Jesus and were covetous and wanted his kingdom, but they didn't want their king. They wanted what he had, but they didn't want him, just like the prodigal brother. And he stands there and he says, guys, uh, stiff-necked, hard-hearted, you killed the prophets, and you killed your Messiah. And you know what? They couldn't take it anymore, and they killed him, Stephen. And that was it. From that point forward in the book of Acts, if you wanted to find everlasting habitation as you transition from Acts chapter uh, 7 to 8, you see an Ethiopian getting saved. In Acts chapter 9, you see the Jew who led the insurrection against Stephen. You see that guy getting saved, and he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 10, Peter, who is the apostle to the circumcision to the Jews, he's over here preaching to a Roman centurion, Cornelius. And and all of a sudden, these Gentiles get saved without ever getting baptized. That hadn't happened yet. They just heard by faith, and boom, they're all speaking in unknown tongues that they didn't know previously as a sign to the Jews that indeed they had the same Holy Ghost in them that they had received at Pentecost. Whoa. The Jews are blown away. What's Jesus telling all these Jews? Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to receive everlasting life, you better get on the train and go back and read Luke chapter 16 because the stewardship's about to change. Because I said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Paul finishes up his ministry, and uh, the gospel's spreading like wildfire across the Gentile kingdom. What's happening in Jerusalem? The church is being persecuted, shrinking. Paul comes back to Jerusalem to preach. What happens? Man, he can't even he can't even open his mouth, and he's already arrested. You know, and he's on trial. The next thing you know, he's in Caesarea. Next thing you know, he appeals to Rome. He's back in Rome. Right? God's not going to... It's why? Because it's over there. 70 AD. Paul gets his head cut off before that by Nero, uh, as we believe. He definitely... Uh, which is pretty much what happened. Nero was the, the, the Caesar at the time. So he makes his appeal to Caesar. Uh, he's probably released. And then he later gets arrested. Feels, uh, then he stands before Nero, gets executed. His history, not necessarily in the Bible, but as we believe, what, that's probably what happened. And then, anyway, the gospel keeps on going, right? But the Jews in 70 A.D., Titus comes in and demolishes them, and they are dispersed among the Gentile nations for almost 2,000 years until 1948. And then they get to finally come home to an habitation that isn't everlasting, and they still don't understand that they missed their Messiah. And so... That's why when I open tonight in prayer, we pray for both sides because both sides are lost and dying, going to hell. One doesn't know they missed their Messiah, and the other one believes in a false Messiah. They believe in a, because they're backed by, Hamas is backed by Iran, uh, they believe in, in the Antichrist as the Messiah. If you look at their eschatology, 
The coming Antichrist, as we read him in the Bible, is their Messiah, and they can't wait till he shows up. It's like, wow. Because they don't believe, because you know what? They, they all miss this. If you don't receive this, you ain't going to understand this. Now, of course, the New Testament would be included in that now. So let me, that's a good question. Did I answer your question sufficiently? Okay. Um, so I, just tell me if this doesn't matter, <laughs> but. It just doesn't um, matter. <laughs> um, whenever he says to the um, debtors, he says, Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. So he's he's he is cutting their bill in half. Yeah. But it but does it it doesn't say that he actually uh, gets anything. He doesn't take anything back to his master. Yeah, his master knows about it. He just cuts their bill so that they don't owe as much. Well, no, he told them to write. He tells them there, he says, uh, uh, he says, take thy bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Right. So he's not actually collecting anything. He's just, he's just telling them to write their bill in half. So that they well, don't, so that they don't owe as much. No, no, he's collecting. Okay. He's collecting. Okay. The unjust steward is telling the debtor to write his bill. Oh, I see. That he owes half as much as what he used to owe. Right. But the unjust steward is he collecting anything? I mean, how how does the Lord commend him for? Uh, and if I'm if I'm not wrong, um, for basically he's he's not collecting half as much as what he's oh I get supposed you. So to. where's where's the where do you okay? So where's how's he going to pay that off? Is that the question? Right. He sells his house because he has nowhere to live. He's he's gonna he's gonna give him back what he can. He knows what he can give him back, and he's calculated it out. And he's gonna give him what he can. He's not gonna have a house to live in anymore. Because where's he put that money? Okay, so the so his <laughs> master does um, take away his stewardship. Yes. Okay. He's never commended. He's never. He's still an unjust steward. He's commended for his wisdom because he's out of the stewardship, but he's wise and that he paid off his debt. Has a place to go, and now he has a place to go and live, whereas he wouldn't have had because he would have lost both his house. Okay, he'd have lost everything. Okay, I think that's where we were a little confused still. Yeah, so he but, now he has a place to live, and he paid back the, the the well, he didn't pay back, but he he offset his theft <laughs> with uh, by losing, so he gave up his earthly possessions to cover the. To to recover the testimony of his of his lord, because the it starts with an accusation against his lord that your steward's unjust, and so he can go back and say, well, I got mine, 
you know, and now he's paid off the, the Lord. We're calling him the Lord. He's homeless, but he, in his wisdom, now has a place to live because he just discounted his, uh, his debtors. Does that make sense? He's living with the debtors. Yeah. Because he himself is now a debtor because he was an unjust steward. Paul says, I'm a debtor both to the Greek, right? Because he was, Paul, it's interesting that Paul viewed himself like that. Why? Because, well, Paul had all this, and what did he do? He rejected the Messiah. And he says, man, I'm, so I'm just going to give my life. I'm giving everything. And he did. And he didn't feel like, oh, I'm getting ahead. He's, I'm just giving back to the Lord what's his. Because I'm a chief of sinners. You know what I'm saying? So Paul, I think Paul understood that concept. I mean, that's how Paul was living his life. Because you can never pay back the Lord for your salvation. That's a really good question, good insight. And that's why it says he's living with <laughs> He's living with them. Now you've got a place to live. Gets us back to these everlasting habitations. However, what happens to a Jew who's dispersed? And they gave up everything. But if they receive Jesus as their Messiah, guess what? Which is now being stewarded by these Gentiles, they get everything. So Hyman Appleman is now in the kingdom of God. He was a Jew. My friend Joe Shaloff is a Jew. He's now in the kingdom of God. He's not hanging on to this anymore. He gave it all up. And he went with this. He's riding with the Messiah and those folks that have been stewarding the gospel. Which is interesting that it's dealing with the kingdom. In this particular passage, it doesn't say the kingdom of heaven. It says the kingdom of God and all these people are pressing into it, um, which is a nuance you probably wouldn't. I don't know what other translations say, but it's probably something else. I don't know. Let me give you some uh, just some other things to consider here, just more devotionally. Um, if you go to go to First Timothy chapter six and verse seventeen, well, let, before you do that, look at Luke twelve forty eight. Just back up a little bit. Uh, that's a, I'm glad you asked that last part because that's yeah that's kind of like answering your primary question, and it does tie back into the ultimate picture and and prophecy in essence. Luke 12 and verse 48. <clears throat> in Luke chapter 12, in uh, verse 48, and again dealing with the the kingdom of God, he says here. Um, we'll start in verse 47. It says. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with few stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, uh, unto him that, I'm sorry, for, yeah. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much of him they will ask the more. And so stewardship is a big deal. Uh, this is dealing in this chapter with, um, you know, the faithful servant, in verse 31 it says, But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's uh, good pleasure to give you the kingdom uh, sell uh, that ye have, and, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For, there, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins uh, be girded about and your thighs burning, um, and and ye yourselves like unto men, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their, their Lord, when he will return from the wedding, when he uh, cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. 
Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, that he that shall gird himself and make them sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them, and he shall come uh, in the second watch, or uh, come in the third watch, and find them. So blessed are those servants. And so he's talking about servants that are ready for the coming of the Lord. And this know that if the good man of the house had known what hour he, the thief, would come, he would have watched and have not suffered his house to be broken through. But ye therefore, but be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even all? And the Lord said, Who then is faithful and a wise steward, whom is his Lord, whom his Lord shall make ruler over the household, uh, to give them their portion? Of meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, but, and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink and be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder. And appoint to him his portions with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Now, this is certainly dealing with Jews and dealing with uh, really a tribulation context in a time yet to come. But there's a there's a devotional principle to us. I, I'd take you there because it's stewardship is what this is about, especially in Luke. Um, and so in Luke 16, uh, the point is that we we got to be faithful with the crumbs that God's given us from His Word, and it'll pay off. But if we abuse the riches, then uh, we'll miss the rich, the most important thing, as they did, which is the Messiah. And so <clears throat> uh, when you go to to First Timothy chapter six and verse 17. This isn't. This is square in the Pauline epistles. So this isn't. This has no. You know, we're not dealing with the. You know, the Jews and the coming tribulation or any of that. It says, but when. Uh, <clears throat> oh, I'm in Second Timothy, so that didn't look right. All right, there we go. Um, hang on, just a second. I'm not there yet. There we go. First Timothy chapter six and verse seventeen. And verse seventeen. Uh, notice this, it says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So you can summarize really what a lot of what we've talked about into that one verse. Now, this is Paul speaking to us, to Timothy, obviously, but he's saying charge them. That, that doesn't mean suggest. I mean, he's like saying, hey, uh, this is important. If you are rich in this world, don't get high-minded, right, or trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Uh, if you go back to verse 10, notice what he says there. He says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred 
from the faith and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Uh, it's not wrong to be rich, by the way. He's just saying to whom much is given, much is required. And so he says, charge those. Um, in chapter 4, in verse 11, uh, he says this. He says, uh, these things command and teach. Right? <clears throat> so uh, there's a, there, it's important right, to charge them, to command and teach these things, uh, and, and not to get high-minded. In verse, in verse 8, if you back up in verse 4, it says, in chapter 4, he says, For bodily exercise profit little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having a promise of life that now is and that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Uh, for there, therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Uh, these things command and teach. So, uh, you know, that's that's a commandment, and that's something that we're to charge. So when you look at that and you think about the clear teaching that Paul's teaching us, right, if we are blessed, you know, we need to be faithful in uh, in using what God blesses us with for the Lord. It's really the same concept as, um, you know, as being faithful with the unrighteous mammon that God blesses us with. <clears throat> and so... Um, and uh, the things that we've been committed to, as I mentioned earlier, are the, the we are stewards of the mysteries of God, right? We have the seven mysteries, and we're stewards of those. And, you know, what are we going to do with those seven mysteries, right? And that obviously is the mystery of godliness. Well, I wouldn't say obviously, but those, the mysteries, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 4. There's so many things I want to say here. I, I only got a few minutes, so I don't want to belabor this. I want to be brief. But let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So in a sense, we're in a type. We're kind of like these, these stewards, right? We're stewards, but we're stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, mysteries are not things we don't know. These are things we do know that have been revealed to us. So Paul goes to Sinai after his salvation and he meets with the Lord, and God downloads these these mysteries that he gives to the church. And the church has been a steward of them. The New Testament re- contains these these uh, this knowledge that we would not otherwise have. I mean, this comes directly to us. And so, uh, so if we're going to be a steward of something, uh, be a steward of the mysteries of God. There's a lot I could say, too. When you, I wanted to go, I don't, I'm not going to have time tonight, but if you take that passage we just read, and you go over, take Luke chapter 16 and then go over to Revelation chapter 3. You are, you're going to notice a lot of parallels between the Laodicean church. Even some of the same verbiage is used between those two passages. Because we're not being faithful stewards in this dispensation. Um, but that's that's a whole other message for tonight I'm not going to get into. But real quick, you got, let me get into this uh, for time's sake. First uh, Corinthians chapter 4. And verse, um, verses 1 and 2, we are stewards, since we're talking about stewardship, of the mysteries. Now, we can take several weeks and teach on these, uh, but I'm going to just quickly run down uh, the seven mysteries for you so you have them and you can look them up on your own. The first one is the mystery of godliness. And if you remember our study, which I know some of you have gone, slept since then, we covered this in 
in our study of First uh, Timothy, First uh, Timothy three sixteen, like John three sixteen, but it's First Timothy three sixteen. Anybody know what is the mystery of godliness? What's that mean? It's defined there in Timothy for you. It's that basically Christ is manifest in the flesh. God manifests in the flesh. That's a, that's another way of saying that. That's the first thing. So we're stewards of that, um, and so of that mystery. Um, <clears throat> the prophecies from Genesis 22:8 and Isaiah 9:6, of course, um, these are fulfilled, and we we have that. We understand what those mean. Isaiah is famous, Isaiah 9-6. Unto us a child is born, right? Very literally. Unto us a son is given. Now that was also dealing with Israel, but he is our Messiah. And he was literally born. And why was he, why did he come? For, well, it's for the purpose of death, Hebrews tells us, right? Hebrews chapter 4. And uh, he came also to, to make us uh, priests and kings. So we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Okay, so Jesus was manifest in the flesh, glorified in the spirit, and he resurrected the mystery of godliness. Second is uh, Christ in you, right? The indwelling of the Holy Holy Ghost, Christ in you. We know that from uh, Colossians 1, 26 and 7. Ephesians 3, 1 through 6, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. And there's there's other verses I'm not going to get into tonight for time's sake. Um, and Ephesians 5, 32 is um, the mystery of Christ and the church, right? We are the bride of Christ. Not Baptists, all those that are born again are a part of the bride of Christ. So uh, we learn that in Ephesians 5.32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Whoa. Of course, that opens up a lot of, of a prophecy as you look back in Ruth, right? Ruth and Boaz. And so you can, you can see that in the type back there with Ruth. And... Uh, I'm looking here at some other things I have. The Gentile bride, um, Ephesians 3, 3 through 6, which we have. You can also see that there. All right. And then the fourth one is the restoration of Israel. Oh, boy, this is a huge one. Oops. I've got, I'm writing the reference down. Now, this is big. In Romans chapter 11, and I, I often mention this when I'm teaching in Romans, the prophet, I'll say the prophecy in Romans, because people don't realize that there's prophecy, not just in the book of Revelation, but even in the book of Romans, uh, uh, it talks about how, how God's going to restore Israel. Right? They're blinded in part, just like we were talking about tonight. 
blinded in part. But God's going to restore them again. And there's a lot more I could go into. Really, the whole of Romans 9 through 11 reveals this mystery, chapters 9 through 11. And so God is not done with Israel. And so you can also put in there Daniel 2.44, Isaiah 9.6 again. As we're teaching in HBI, Daniel chapter 7, 13 through 28. And you can go all over into uh, Ezekiel 37. And this is not even exhausting. Um, 15 through 28. And we could add more to that, but... God, that's a mystery that so many people miss today, they, they, and it's called replacement theology. So um, you get that mystery off, and next thing you know, you're trying to claim the promises of the Jews to yourself. You've got a bunch of kingdom of heaven activity, and you're getting overly involved in, in things you ought not as a church. So be careful. Be careful with that. Be a good steward of it. All right. And we're almost there. This and. We're all looking forward to this any time now. The rapture, or it's also called in the Bible the catching away. The catching away of the church. You ain't going to find that other than in type in the Old Testament, like with Enoch. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. But that is a, that is a New Testament mystery. First uh, Corinthians 15 very clearly teaches that. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. You can see that there. Those are some ugly thighs, but you get the point. You can also, uh, 1 Thessalonians, I don't, have, I don't think I have it in my notes, but we all know. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18, I believe is the references there. So uh, the rapture of the church, the catching away of the church, that's, a, that's something that's revealed to us. The uh, tribulation and millennial uh, saints. Wait a minute, I'm looking at the wrong thing. Uh, sorry about that. Like that doesn't make sense. All right, here we go. This makes sense. Mystery of iniquity. Does already work is what we're told in the New Testament, right? The mystery of iniquity does already work. So Second Thessalonians chapter two. Only he who now letteth will let till he be taken out of the way. It says there in verse 7. 1 John 4, 3. Deals with the very person of the Antichrist. All right. So the mystery of iniquity that already worked. And uh, the Antichrist is coming. As I just mentioned. All right, that spirit, it's already, it's already among us, right? And it's getting, going to keep getting worse. 
I don't know if you guys can see this. My pen's running out. And then last is mystery. You got to go to Revelation to, to get this one. Babylon. Now, this will put you on the conspiracy trail right here, boy. You start talking like this. Mystery, Babylon, and I'm going to put religion in parentheses. All right, so mystery, Babylon, religion, revelation. My penmanship gets worse the lower I go, so you'll have to bear with me. And verse 5, and this is Satan's religious system. system and I would add his his bride which he destroys in Revelation 17 he allows her to be destroyed by the Gentile nations where Jesus died for his bride uh, Satan will throw his under the bus alright so there's your seven mysteries now you have some gold and you can steward those of many years ago in my personal reading, I think, I don't know if I was a, it was before I was a pastor somewhere, it occurred to me that if I ever became a pastor, and I am now, that these are the things that are non-negotiable. As far as if there's anything that we need to get, make sure people know, it's this. And you look at that and you think, really? Yeah, really. Because honestly, if you uh, if you understand this, and you understand it thoroughly because all of these just explode across the Bible. I mean, really, you get into the godliness and Jesus Christ. You're in Genesis now. You're in Genesis 1. You're in Revelation. I mean, everything about who God is uh, is is tied around that, Jesus Christ. Also, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That mess, that takes care of a lot of doctrine that's messed up today. A lot of our charismatic friends think, oh, you can lose your salvation and all that. No, you can't. Christ is in you of the truth. I mean, there's, there's no way around it. That changes everything about your security and anchors you, knowing that, that Christ and the church, that we're the bride of Christ and that God has another plan for Israel. This is a distinction. This is a dispensational thing that helps open up your Bible so you can rightly divide the word. These are essential to comprehend, or you're not going to understand what's up and what's down in your Bible. Um, you get down here to the rapture, the catching away. It's a blessed hope, says in Titus. I mean, this is we're, it's not like we're looking to the great tribulation. We're looking to get caught up, not because we deserve it, by the way. It's actually a judgment because we don't accomplish the Great Commission. So in that sense, it's a negative uh, because of if you take the stewardship and you run it through Revelation chapter 3, we're too busy entertaining ourselves, and we don't even know that Jesus is asking us to open up the door and let him in, right? We block Jesus out of the church, and we're too busy with social media or something. And then uh, you got the mystery of iniquity, right, that's already working, the spirit of Antichrist. And so... Uh, is working in the first century, it's working now, uh, and you need to know how he's working, and Mystery Babylon religion. So you tie that into uh, the Church of Pergamos, and you can find out literally uh, where the seat and the synagogue of Satan are and what his false religious system uh, is and is all about. So um, you want to be a good steward in the New Testament. We're stewards of the mysteries, Right? It's not about the physical things. It's not about the gold and all of that. Although, if you got gold, great. Use it for God's glory. But at the end of the day, at the judgment seat of Christ, I believe these are the things that I'm responsible to make sure the church body understands thoroughly and that we as all individual Christians are responsible to steward these 
uh, and you should have an understanding of them. And so uh, there's a lot of things here that really most, if you get those things down, you're going to be, you're going to be pretty rock solid on almost any doctrinal issue. Uh, the Jehovah Witnesses aren't going to mess you up. The uh, Charismatics aren't going to mess you up. The Reformed theology, they'll try to me- they'll try to mess with your mind, but when they get about right here, you're going to stop them and say, "Wait a minute, that's not what my Bible says." And uh, and so all of that stuff starts to to really keep you in the white lines, so that you are faithful stewards of the most precious things, right? And so we have Christ in us. I mean, good night. We got it. We got the best situation ever. So we want to be faithful stewards, right? And um, and so anyway, so that's my admonition to us about stewardship. I had a lot more notes I could I could get into that were kind of more preachy, but uh, I don't. I think this is where God wanted me to go tonight on that. Since we're talking about stewardship, so if you've been, how many of you know the seven mysteries? Like you've had them. Okay, so. If you you get those in D2, a lot more comprehensive than I'm giving you tonight. Um, and I'm sure we touch on them more in HBI as well. But make sure that you, you get those down, study those out. Those might be good questions to bring at a Bible study if you don't know what those are so we can noodle all those out. We I think we teach on that uh, every so often in the course of, of, uh, of our Wednesday night anyway. But anyway, uh, that's everything I got. All right, well, let's go ahead and wrap it up tonight. And... Um, Remember to be a good steward of the mysteries. Uh, you don't want to end up like an unjust steward and taking all of this information that you got at church Sunday after Sunday, ABF after ABF, Wednesday night after Wednesday night, HBI class after HBI class, sermon after sermon, and you're like, oh, man, I just ain't getting fed. I'm not getting anything. I don't feel right. Well, you know what? Sometimes we aren't right because we're not exercising. Right? You got to get the word in and then go get it out. One admonition this coming Sunday, one of the best things you can do. Like if you got all this down and you know all this, you're like the Pharisees, man. You know all about your, what your responsibilities are. Great. Then this, this coming week, let's go out and invite people to harvest party after church on Sunday. doesn't matter who you are. You know what? You're not too good to go out and invite people. Uh, to have a little fun at church so we can preach the gospel to them. I mean, it's just the, it's the little things like that, being ready to enter a gospel conversation at work and uh, and just being, you know, open to being used by God. That's really what it's all about. And there's folks that know a lot less than we do that do a lot more with it. And you can go across the world, and you'll see churches being pastored by men who have a, frac- a, a thimble full of knowledge of the Bible that you all have at HBF, that we have. And, and man, we got to make sure we get all this doctrine in. We got to get all this doctrine out and all of that. And we should do that, by the way. We're steward. To whom much is given, much is required. Can you imagine if I sat on all this stuff and I never shared it? I mean, woe unto me at the judgment seat of Christ. I mean, I'm I'm compelled to share what I know because men have invested in me, and God has given me that understanding. I need to share those things with others. That's that's the whole idea of discipleship is giving to other faithful men what God has given to you and women. But at the end of the day. You know, to whom much is given, much is required. You know, we shouldn't break our arm patting ourselves on the back. Because, man, God has given us a lot. And even our little church in the in the cow field, this little church has been given a lot. As a matter of fact, a little church like ours may have more than some of the mega churches, right, that have a lot of people coming because they don't have this. They don't have the true riches. And so who cares about their big house? Right, if they don't have the true riches, 
But if you have the true riches and you're not busy getting them out, and you're just collecting them to yourself like the unjust steward, the day's coming. The Lord's going to come calling. He's going to say, you, you, you say that you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. But really, you're, when it comes due, you ain't going to have nothing. Because you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Thou mayest be rich. Right? And the shame of thy nakedness, right, that it doesn't appear. And only thine eyes with thy eyes thou mayest see. Right? He wants us to be able to use what we've got and and and, and get it where it needs to go while there's time. Because time's running out, and the unjust steward, he doesn't want to be caught with his hand in the jar. Right? Get out what God has given you. If you've been loaded up with 16 lessons, well, good. Load up on them and get them back out to someone else. Right? If you've been taught it, then teach it to somebody else. Get it out to other people while you have opportunity. Don't be just collecting it under yourself. That's what that unjust steward was doing. He had a nice big house. He had to liquidate that thing so that he could, he could break even at the, at the judgment of his, of his Lord. Hey man, there's a lot of us. We need to get on it now just to break even because we've taken too much time investing in us and not enough time investing in the kingdom of God. And so that's a sober reality of the church age that we're in. And a lot of people don't even know it. They think that they're rich and increase with goods. Look at this and look at that. And Jesus is like, look at what? You know, have you resisted unto blood, striving against sin? I don't think so. Get busy. Time is short. Quit being a victim and be a victor. Go get it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and we'll close in a word of prayer.